The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. The saying goes, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And while some authors are able to support their full-time writing career just by writing books, the reality is most authors need additional income, especially at the beginning. Also, uh, working on other people's books at the beginning helps increase your skills faster. As Jesus once said, until you are faithful with that which is another man's, who will trust you with that which is your own? But does this mean you need to go out and get a job at McDonald's between novels? No, (laughs) no, you do not. There is another way, a better way, and that is freelancing, working in the book business for book people and learning book skills while making money, working on that which is another man's. And we have a guest on the show today who has put her eggs in many different baskets. She is a professional freelancer an award-winning author of 12 books, an editor, a speaker, a literary agent, and a licensed minister. She also is a consultant and a coach. Oh, my goodness. Sharon Norris Elliott, (laughs) welcome to The Christian Publishing Show. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we met, I want to say 10 or 15 years ago at Mount Hermon, way back in the day. So I've known you for a long time, but I have never known what your origin was. Like, how did you get started as a freelancer? I started out as a child. No. <laughs> <laughs> how was but a wee baby? How was but a wee child? <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I started as a freelancer when I learned what that even meant. Uh, I went to my first Christian Writers Conference. Oh my goodness, I've been in this business 30 years and went to that first writers conference. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anybody, um, you know, who was there. I had to get, they used to give out a thick notebook of information when you went to a writers conference. And in the back of that notebook, there was a glossary of the words in this business. And I had to use it because I didn't know people were talking about and so um but at that conference actually just before that conference I had met a gentleman who ended up being at the conference who had a magazine and it was for Christian teenagers he found out I taught high school and asked me if I would help him with the magazine. And all I knew was that I grade papers all the time. And so sure, I could read these articles and see if there's <laughs> you know, mistakes or whatever. Little did I know, thanks to the glossary, I found out I was now a magazine editor. Bingo. And then that was a stepping stone into teaching at writers conferences, speaking at writers conferences, and all of that. So that's really how everything got started for me. I love that. Uh, The origin of the term freelance actually goes back a really long ways. Uh, You probably know this, but uh, back in the feudal ages, uh, if you were a vassal, uh, if you were a knight or a peasant, you owed the person higher up the hierarchy um, duty, uh, military duty. So they could, the king could demand that his lords provide them with troops and the tr- uh, lords would demand that their knights would provide them with troops and the knights would demand that the peasants 
uh, would provide them with troops. Uh, but there were also people who were free and they could work for whoever they wanted. They were lances that were free lances. And so uh, it was basically an old term for mercenary. And so if you okay. needed some extra <laughs> troops uh, and you called up all of the people who owed you service in you still needed a bigger army because the Vikings were coming or whatever, <laughs> uh, then you would hire some freelancers uh, to fight on your behalf. And uh, so the being a freelancer, you have more freedom than being an employee, right? And an employee is very much like that vassal, right? They owe a certain number of hours to the boss. Exactly. The boss gets to tell them when to work and where to work and how to work and the other, uh, I think it's 14 or 13 different uh, criteria that the IRS looks at. No, nine criteria that the IRS looks at, uh, whereas a freelancer gets to set her own path, so to speak. <laughs> so if you like freedom <laughs> and if you like money, uh, freelance is the way to go. If you like glory and honor and prestige, freelance is not the way to go because you don't get as much <laughs> glory being a freelancer. Right. Hey, wait a minute. The barns don't <laughs> sing about the mercenaries in the taverns. They right. sing about the knights in the taverns. But the mercenaries are the ones who are making the money. So uh, back to your story. I'll talk about history the whole time if, if you let me. So let's right. let's get back. <laughs> so it, in the real world, obviously, you're not selling your sword. You're not a sell sword. You're you know writing or you're editing on a contract basis. So so walk us through some of the benefits of being a freelancer. Why are you still a freelancer all these years later? Okay, well, um, I thought at one point that I would want to work for a publishing house, you know, hire me to be an editor for blah, 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 right, house. Um, that was never offered to me. <laughs> so so um, I just continued to, to write myself, right, and, and send my articles out to different uh, magazines and, and what have you. And then I started helping other people uh, do the same thing. I was learning all these things at writers conferences and I would go home. I, I'm that person who you teach me to do this. I'm going to go home and do that. Right? <laughs> and then I go back to another conference and they teach me more. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't you tell me that last time? And so, so I added that you know, to it. And so it it got to the point where I said, okay, all of these different things I've been learning over these first few years, they all fit together, kind of like a puzzle piece, right? And if I had had a, a comprehensive class to give me that kind of A through Z, then I feel I would have been further along. Now, mind you, I was still working full time. I was teaching high school and working full time until last summer, till the summer of 2020 <clears throat> when I retired. So I was doing all of this on, quote unquote, on the side. Um, and it was my extra income. So your 12 books that you wrote was on the side of your high school teaching and the editing and the freelancing was all on the side. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So it actually talks about this in Ecclesiastes 11. So uh, people do themselves a disservice when they read Ecclesiastes. Or sorry, when they read Proverbs. A lot of people read Proverbs and then they stop. And it's like, 
You got to read Proverbs 2. It's uh, the Proverbs, you know. Yeah. The, the Solomon returns, and there's a lot of really good wisdom in <laughs> exactly. Ecclesiastes. And also a kind of a cleanser, because if you just read Proverbs, you start to think that that's the whole truth, and you need to read Ecclesiastes to realize that a lot of that is also meaningless. That's right. <laughs> uh, it's, like, it's true, but meaningless. And the meaninglessness uh-huh. part is important. But in Ecclesiastes, it talks about diversification. This is the famous... Cast your bread upon the waters, and in turn, the prophets will flow back to you. Uh, but invite your vestments among many places, right? We're, a lot of people are familiar with that. Um, you know, they kind of scratch their heads, like, cast your bread upon the waters. What does that mean? Um, but if you keep reading in that same passage, in verse 6, it says, Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if your prophet will come from one activity or another or maybe both. And so by keeping your day job the whole time, you're really living out Proverbs 6, uh, 11, 6, because you have the kind of low risk, low reward job of teaching, mm-hmm. right? You're, it's never <laughs> going to make you rich, right? It's, it's a base hit every, every week, right? right. And, and your performance isn't particularly tied to your compensation, right? The best teacher in your school and the worst teacher in your school probably paid pretty closely. Uh, whereas in writing, it's just the opposite, right? The, the winners win big, and the losers win nothing, right? The difference between the number one author and the number 10 top author, the number one author may make, you know, 20 times more money than the 10th best author. And the 10th best author makes 100 times more money exactly. than the 100th best author, right? It's very unevenly distributed. And so if you're trying to make all your money in that world, it's really hard if you're not the number one person. Maybe you're working your way up the ranks, but it's still not very good and it's unreliable, Right. Every time you write a book, it could be a home run, but just because your last book was a home run doesn't mean the next one's going to be a home That's run. Right. And so combining the safe, steady income with the swing for the fences income uh, is a really solid strategy. Uh, or, you know, if it's second and one, throw <laughs> deep. <laughs> Make the defense run down the field. Uh, exactly. You know, maybe maybe you can open up the running game. <laughs> Put up that Hail Mary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So what are the some of the downsides, though, of freelancing? So we talked about some of the, the perks. Well, I mean, you just pretty much enumerated them. Um, it's, it's a continual, um, will my next one be a good one? Um, it's, a con- it's constant. Uh, the marketing is constant. Keeping up with, with my um, audience and my my tribe, <laughs> you know, and um, meeting deadlines, right? If you can't meet a deadline in this business, you're out of this business. <laughs> um, and uh, the hoping and the praying part, <laughs> right, that comes along with it. But um, there are so many more ups uh, to me as a freelancer, especially the part where I'm helping other writers. I'm so jazzed about being able to help people see their publishing dreams, right, come to pass, but to also pour into them that this is much more than you just write this book, right? So even if you're not going to to be an agent, excuse me, like I am, or you're not going to be... Um, teaching workshops, right? There is a lot to do as you write 
and publish. There's a lot to do on the business side, right? So that's how come we're talking today about what it takes to be a professional freelancer. It doesn't mean, like you said, that you have to do things full time. It just means that you have to do things uh, correctly. That's right. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to get into that business side. But first, I want to talk about the different kinds of freelance work because I feel like we listed off a bunch of them just in your kind of (laughs) bio because you tried your hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I want to go through and kind of define some terms because I think if somebody's new to this and we we keep throwing out freelancers, there's different kinds of freelance. So the most common kind of freelance is freelance editors. And even big publishing houses often work with their editors on a freelance basis. So maybe they have one or two in-house editors that are employees right there. They're serfs that owe fealty to the Lord. Uh, but in <laughs> right. general, they often will bring in freelance editors because they're trying to match the editor to the project. Right. And I have worked with uh, different companies over the years who have hired me to edit books that they have contracted. All right. And so, <clears throat> no, I do not work in the company, but the company um, knows my work, knows that I can edit, you know, things of that nature. And so I then edit the, the book. Okay. Um, I have worked very, very closely. Sometimes I am working as a book developer. Um, the company wants this person to write this book, but that, that person hasn't even written the book, right? (laughs) They need help with that. So there's a wide range of how much you can do as a freelance editor. When I'm finished with that project, I go on about my business, right? Another company can hire me or uh, an individual person can hire me to to edit their work. So as a freelancer. They've got a celebrity. The celebrity wants to write a book, but they need help. Going back to our medieval metaphor. You know, you've got the Duke's son, he's fighting his first battle, and the Duke hires a freelance uh, knight to shadow the son and make sure he doesn't get killed. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, the son's going to do some fighting. It's not like you're ghostwriting, necessarily, you know, but you're fighting alongside the writer. You're writing alongside the writer, and so that they can get the glory, right? So that when the Duke's son comes back from the battle, the bards can sing of him. Uh, and you know everyone drinks their mead or or whatever. I'm gonna be using. I'm gonna be beating this metaphor for the rest of this episode. So be warned. <laughs> it's like the president's speech writers. Yeah, you know the president sounds great, but he didn't write that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what a teleprompter can do. So so that's an editor, and you've also talked about kind of a book coach or a manuscript developer, where you're. Um, some, so sometimes like you're taking speeches and you're adapting them to chapters, or you're sitting down and you're talking with somebody. So there's some writing that's involved. Uh, so let's talk about some of the other kinds of freelance. So another is uh, work for hire or write for hire. So what's the difference between writing for hire and just writing a book for a royalty? Okay, it's whose idea it was. Okay, so writing for hire, uh, let's say a publishing company wants a book on um how to how to be a freelancer <laughs> so they call me and they say we need a book on how to be a freelancer um and so they hire me to write that book 
And basically, I get paid what they decide to pay me to do that project. And then that's it. Now, I've done some work for hire. My name has gone on the book, right, as as the byline and everything. But I don't get it, the royalties in, you know, in the same way or, or anything like that. So writing for hire is who came up with the idea. And who owns the idea. So while your name may be on the front of the book as the author, if you flip open to the copyright page, the copyright is not copyright right. Sharon Norris Elliott. The copyright is Acme Publishing or whoever the publisher was. So they, you, the advantages of writing for hire is you know exactly how much money you're going to get. And in general, it's much better money than you would get uh, with a roy- royalty or with an advance. The downside is you don't get any residuals. So the money is the money. There's no ongoing royalty in general. Obviously, contracts can be negotiated a bunch of different ways. Uh, so if the book ends up being a huge hit, you don't get any of that money. You do get the fame, though, if your name's on the cover. So there's some benefits there, but you don't get you know this big royalty check every six months. On the flip side, if the book is a flop, let's say they do a bad job marketing or it's got a bad cover or all the other things that can kill a book, you get paid the same amount of money regardless. <laughs> so it's much lower risk. It's also much uh, lower potential reward. Right. All right. So the next kind of freelancer is a coach or a consultant. So I know you do a lot of this. Uh, this is where uh, somebody needs help and they come to you for advice. So what's the difference between a coach or a consultant and an editor? Um, the editor is actually working with the manuscript. Okay, the coach is more working with the idea. All right, helping helping that person with their idea, developing the idea. Um, how are you going to flesh out this idea? All of that goes into coaching. And then many times for me, it flows then into editing the chapters that, as, that are being written. Yeah. And coaching can also be about career, right? Coaching often can start earlier. It's like, hey, I need help putting together a good proposal. I want this proposal to sing. Can you help me make it sing? I I want it to be the kind of proposal people can't say no to, right? That kind of help. Uh, So coaching and consulting can cover a lot of different factors, right? I um, used to do a lot of marketing consulting. (laughs) So um, and, and that kept me very busy for a time. I, I've cut way back on that. So I have more time for creating courses and podcasting. Uh, so I'm helping more people now, <laughs> but, but it's a little less personal uh, than it used to be where I'd help just a handful of folks. Uh, so the, I guess the next big category, we talked about editing, talked about writing for hire, talked about coaching slash consulting. So now we need to talk about being an author's assistant because this is another freelance role. So um, walk us through author's assistant, virtual assistant. How is that different from the others? Um, I have not ever been an author's assistant, nor have I ever had one. Where do I find one of those? Uh- I can tell you, <laughs> authormedia.social, my new social network for authors. We have a special jobs board, and we have all the time people posting, I'm looking for a VA, and we also have author VAs posting all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm an author VA, I'm looking for clients. So if you've ever wondered, where do you find an author's assistant? Authormedia.social. It's a totally free social network that I run uh, completely separate from our social media overlords. 
Okay, so I really can't answer that question um, of an author assistant. Okay, so uh, so some of the things that a virtual assistant do or an author assistant will do can help with some of the marketing tasks, like submitting your book to BookBub or posting to social media, some of the kind of rudimentary tasks like that uh, in terms of helping you with the marketing. Also, like reaching out to podcasts to get you on as a guest podcaster. So they, they take a lot of the work of marketing oh, off okay. of your plate. Uh, they also can help you with the writing. So a common kind of a virtual assistant is a research assistant. And so you'll have somebody helping you with the research. They're reading books and kind of feeding you the parts of the book that are helpful, right? So you need to read 50 books to do the research for your for your book, but you may only end up having, you know, five citations out of those 50 books. So <laughs> research assistant can kind of help you sort through the haystack. Um, another kind of uh, virtual assistant will help you know, help with your schedule, help protect your time from distractions. So they're the ones answering your email and they try to keep emails from getting through. <laughs> so oh, uh, I find that. Well, I uh, that, definitely need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's a bunch of other kinds of virtual assistants. And I will say I have an episode on my other podcast, Novel Marketing, called How to Find and Work with a Virtual Assistant. And it walks through six or seven different kinds of virtual assistants. And virtual assistants are also freelancers. And one of the things about being a freelancer, and we should probably talk about this, is that legally they're different. So this distinction between vassal and freeman (laughs) still exists in the law, right? (laughs) So it's like we're still in the feudal times, legally speaking. (laughs) Yeah. So vassals, we don't use that word anymore. We now use the word employee. And we don't use the term freeman anymore. We use the term contractor. And uh-huh. so, and they're taxed differently. They're treated differently by the law, whether you're a vassal or a freeman or, a, or an employee or a contractor. So mm-hmm. you, it's, you get 10 night When you do a work for a publisher and you're doing editing for the publisher, the publisher will issue you a 1099. And you have to pay your own taxes on that 1099. They're not withheld by the company. And because you are a free man or a free woman who has a direct relationship <laughs> with the government, so you don't have an intermediary, right? You you talk to the king yourself. You don't have your lord who talks to the king on your behalf. Uh, it is fascinating how that feudal structure still exists uh, even to this day. Um, so what are some business things to keep in mind? Because uh, if somebody's always had their taxes withheld, they may not be, know what to expect. You know, like, wow, I'm getting more money. It's like, yeah, but you have to set some aside to pay your taxes every quarter. Right. Absolutely. Keep uh, being business minded is a big part of being a professional freelancer. So um, taking care of the money, knowing that um, Uncle Sam wants to know how much money you've made. And so keep track of it. (laughs) um, Have you know, I have a file and, and I keep track of the book sales, for example, um, and balance that obviously against whatever what it's cost me, right, to buy the books. Um, all of my business receipts, anything I buy that has something to do with the business, right, those are expenses. And so you keep track <laughs> of all of those. Because they're tax deductible. You don't just keep track because you have to. 
You could not keep track of them, but if you do keep track of them, you get to deduct them from your taxes. Exactly. All those uh, postage, of course, we're not using as much postage any longer, but um, we do use postage for for the business. For example, my uh, Authorize Me Academy uh, students, when they finish the um, series, the Masterclass series, I send them a beautiful certificate, right? Well, Mailing those certificates, that's a deductible business expense. (laughs) So the postage for those large envelopes, right, is uh, in my in my file. Just everything that you do for the business, the speaking uh, fees that you receive, the um, uh, royalty checks, right, that you receive, as well as what it costs you to run your business. All of those things need to be tracked, deducted at tax time. And what I recommend is to have a separate bank account for your business income and for your business expenses. Because this really helps things from getting commingled. There's a bunch of legal reasons why this is beneficial, but also a bunch of just keep your own sanity reasons. And typically there's no additional cost to setting up a separate bank account. Your bank is very happy to set up a second bank account for your business. Uh, and now, sometimes they'll have a minimum where you have to keep a certain amount of money and the different banks do different do different levels there. But having a certain minimum is actually also a good practice because one of the differences between being a freelancer and being a employee is the lumpiness of the income. So, right. uh, and that can be difficult to adjust to for somebody who's new to freelance, they get a big check and they want to go out and spend it. And they're like, no, this big check is actually two months worth of revenue. And you have to be That's disciplined right. to hold on to that because you no longer have somebody else acting as a buffer where you get a steady same money every two weeks. And you want to check with your state. Um, because I've set up a, an actual business, right? So I have a business name, I have an LLC, whatever. So my bank account is connected to that business, right? And that business name. And so you need to go to your your local, you know, office and set that up, right? Um, have your business name can be your name, or it can be the name of a business. Um, so all of those things are the uh, professional, right, business things that you need to take care of. And I have a whole episode on how to form an LLC uh, on my other podcast, Novel <laughs> Marketing. We walk you through exactly how to do it. Even if you plan to just be a pure author and not do any freelance, forming an LLC does make sense because you're still a business in the eyes of uh, the law and having that limited liability uh, can be very beneficial and, and very helpful. So, uh, authors, royalty receiving authors are also not employees. <laughs> they have a different relationship, but it's still not an employee relationship. And that corporate veil doesn't cover you in the same way that it would cover an employee. Uh, but I don't want to get too deep in the LLC weeds because I do have a whole episode about it. <laughs> As we're talking about bank accounts, I also recommend that a professional freelancer have a PO box um, so that all of your business mail is coming to this P.O. box. And even if you're not consulting and doing all of that, if you're if you're just and I don't mean that in a a demeaning sense, if you're just an author, I still recommend having that 
P.O. box because people who love you, hey, they might want to actually write you an actual letter. Of course, we're doing a lot by email now. But people who hate what you write, they want to find you. And <laughs> you do not want to have your home address, right, <laughs> where people are are able to to do you know, untoward things. So a P.O. box is just that whole, you know, business. All your checks are coming to that P.O. box. You know, everything is just separated as your business. Okay. That's that's so important. And you're legally required by the Can Spam Act of 1998 or whenever it was passed to include your mailing address in emails that you send out to your email newsletter. So you have to have an address, and if you don't have a P.O. box or a UPS box or FedEx box, then you are legally required to put your own home address on there. And I will say, somebody who's had a P.O. box for the last 15 years, I received some of the nicest notes from listeners. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not very often, but over 15 years, some have come in. And you know, sometimes listeners will send me their books, and it's, it's really fun to have that way. So right on my website, authormedia.com, I've got the mailing address right there. Because I don't have my home address, I don't feel like I have to hide it. So I can be very you know, clear. Hey, here's the mailing address. If you want to send me something, this is how to do it. And that's a lot of fun. And it does create that separation. And for those of you who are younger, and I knew that I was younger back when I was younger, and I knew <laughs> young people move around a lot. So once you get old, you stop wanting to carry boxes and lifting furniture. It's like, oh, it's too much of a hassle. But young people, every six months, every 12 months, are moving to a new place, which means a new mailing address and from the time i got my p.o box to now i think i've had a dozen mailing addresses <laughs> other mm. mailing addresses but that p.o box has been a fixed p.o box um my whole life and i got it near my grandmother's house because i knew there i'd be go. going to my grandmother's house <laughs> regardless of where else in town i lived uh, of course now that she's passed away it's completely inconvenient so i am in the process of <laughs> moving um, P.O. boxes to, to a new P.O. box. So if you go to my uh, my uh, website now, you won't see a P.O. box. You'll see the UPS store I now am using. Uh, UPS stores have the advantage of also being able to receive FedEx and UPS packages as well as United States mail. But that's really the only, the only difference. Other business tips for somebody who's starting their own freelance business. Um, if you are a writer you're also going to be a speaker because <laughs> you're now the expert about whatever you're writing about. If it's nonfiction, if you're writing novels, well, people are just interested, right? In hearing from you or what have you. And so um, lots of writers I know write because they don't have to be in front of people, right? They're behind a computer. But guess what? Um, every publisher wants people to get to know you um, as the author. I mean, there's no better way than you talking with someone and um, people hearing you. Yes, people can hear me. They tell me they hear my voice through my books. Um, however, they enjoy talking to me, right? And, and having me come and share. So um, becoming or knowing how to present yourself as a speaker is is very important. Who are you? Um, what's your brand? That's a whole nother 
<laughs> that's another whole conversation. But um, when I think about branding and speaking and people inviting you to speak, um, I'm, I think of the illustration I just thought of this week, Thomas. Uh, branding, think about Target, Walmart, and Costco, right? Why do we go to those stores? We go to those stores because we know they have what we need. Right? <laughs> Staples used to say, yeah, we got that. That used to be one of their taglines. And so what is it that you have that readers need? That That's the whole reason why people buy books. They buy books because of their need, not really so much of what you have to say, uh, right? Because of what they need. So how can you communicate that you have what they need? And one of those ways is, is by speaking. Um, and so your, who you are, um, your brand, all of that, um, needs to be clearly communicated Right. Every time someone hires me, right, my tagline is live significantly. I, everything I do and talk about has to do with how you can live more significantly. Um, and so people know when they hire me, they're going to get, you know, a, an encouragement. They might get a kick in the pants. They, you know, they know what they're going to get because they know who I am. Right. And so, um, who are you? Who are you? Get your message out uh, that way. And this is important for finding clients, right? So you can, anybody can say, I'm a freelancer now, right? And you're like, <laughs> I'm ready to go fight in a war, but you're not going to go fight in a war until someone hires you to go fight in the war. So having a strong brand is a key part of that, right? Knowing what kind of freelancer you are. Are you an archer? Are you a knight? Are you a swordsman? Are you a pikeman? Um, are you an editor or a, a doing right for hire or are you a marketing assistant? Um, but let's talk about some other ways of finding clients. So where do you find clients? Um, I find clients by a lot of times by speaking at writers conferences. <laughs> so, um, and then now, of course, word of mouth um, is huge. Because people who I have worked with now are telling their friends, look, if you really want to come out with a book that's, you know, that's going to get a contract or, or what have you, you, you need to work with, with Sharon. Um, word of mouth, um, setting up my own seminars and advertising those, of course, so making the speaking events happen from scratch instead of waiting to get invited. Right. I make the speaking events, you know, I, I'll do Facebook lives and, and um, send out canvas, you know, about this. I've set up, like I said, I've set up the Authorize Me Academy, which um, is 12 master classes that take you from your idea to having a full book proposal <clears throat> and the three sample chapters and all all kinds of information about the industry you know having 
working on your website, your brand, all of that, right, in 12 master classes. And then I start telling people, this is what I do. <laughs> so, so now from September to March, and then from March to September, we run these, these master classes. Okay. And we'll have a link to that at authorizeme.net if you want to find out more about the Authorize Me Academy. Right. Um, sit on panels and discuss what you do. Um, make appearances, uh, do interviews like this one. Woo. <laughs> right. On um, podcasts. Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's there are there are many ways to find. Um, I can't I cannot stress the importance of Christian writers conferences. <laughs> I mean, all these years later, that's where Thomas and I met. Um, I think it was longer ago than 10 years, actually. If you could go back to when you first started coming to Mount Hermon. I think it was 2008 or 2009. Okay, that's when we met. Yeah. So, you know, back in the olden times. And when we were, yeah. <laughs> back when I was a kid. During the dinosaurs. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, so, and yeah. I'll add, if you're in an area that doesn't have writers' conferences yet, uh, a really good stopgap is authormedia.social, right? Because if you go to authormedia.social, there's a craft board, there's a platform board, and the kind of conversations that you hear at writers' conferences are happening there. And there's a job board. And, and Sharon, you really should go on the job board and post all the things that you offer, because I imagine you're going to get a lot of business there. It's, it's fun to see all of the matchmaking that happens, because there's all these people that need help. And there's all of these people that offer help and <laughs> they just need okay. a place to find each other and it's really easy it's authormedia.social you don't have to type the w's but if you want to that works too www.authormedia.social so you sign up it's free <laughs> i'm going there when this podcast is over for real <laughs> <laughs> there you go and if you want to hire uh, sharon norcelia to help you with any of these things you can find her post at authormedia.social uh, absolutely so uh, we're almost out of time, but before we go, I want to talk a little bit more blocking and tackling if, if somebody's wanting to get started. And mm -hmm. one really awkward thing, there's a couple awkward things with being a freelancer. And one of those is that you have to talk about money and you have to collect money. Yes. And so I want to talk about invoicing. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get into the meat and potatoes. I and I, I will never understand what is so awkward about <laughs> saying you it. Like I said, again, Target, Walmart, Costco, they don't uh, apologize for putting a price tag <laughs> on that product. And so why should you? Okay. Preach. So Preach. What, what you do and what we do, what Thomas does, what I do is valuable. Um, and if you are going to become a freelancer, right? what you you first got to realize your talent in the area of whatever you're doing is of value right and so you're going to put a monetary value um to it do some research find out what the market is is bearing at the time now and then be realistic right if you haven't been in the business of of editing and and doing all these things for a while you're not going to get the same money at first that someone who's been doing it and has a reputation, you know, whatever. You're going to have to build your reputation, right, as well. Um, 
But I think it starts so much with the confidence that that you have. You know, I was just giving out advice. People would call me and ask me things and I would just say, oh, yeah, here's I've, I think you should do this. or whatever. <laughs> one of my one of my friends stopped me and she said, you need to monetize all this advice that you're giving people. It's valuable. And I thought, oh, okay. So I did just what I just told you to do. I did some research and, and, um, you know, put up, put a price to the different things I was doing. And I remember the first time someone asked me uh, a question and I answered it, you know, with, well, that, that's what I do in my business. You know, it would cost you X amount. I, you know, it was like you hold your breath for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then when it was a gentleman also, uh, and he said, oh, okay, what? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so um, I use, I use PayPal invoices and I sent an invoice and he paid the invoice and I went, you know what? This is pretty good. <laughs> There it, you go. It's it's really important. And I totally agree about that. You start charging low and as you get too busy, you start raising exactly. your prices. You let the demand set the price and you never let up on the marketing because one common mistake that freelancers make is that they stop speaking or doing the various lead mm -hmm. gen things. They stop being active on a place like authormedia.social when they get a big project. They get a big project and then they stop the marketing. And what this leads to <laughs> is... They have a big project, then they're starving. Exactly, because that project's going to end. Because the project ends and they haven't lined up the next one. Then they get desperate and they pick the wrong <laughs> client, right? Or, or yes. for a, they bid themselves too low because they're hungry. And then they have a bad client and then it, the cycle repeats itself. Right. Like, for example, it costs you a lot to hire me to ghostwrite because that takes a lot of my time. And I'm good I, I believe I'm excellent, but I don't want to do that <laughs> that much. So if you want me to do it and I have other criteria for for when I ghostwrite. And so that's going to cost you a lot of money now. OK, if you if you say that's too much and you want to go somewhere else, I am not mad at you and we could still be friends and we are still going to be in heaven together. Um, but if you want me to do it right so the value that I place on my time um, is important. And it's also, it's great to have some people who are cheaper, right? Let's say you're more established. You've been doing this for decades and somebody else is just getting started. Instead of seeing them as, oh, this young whippersnapper is under, undercutting my prices. No, somebody comes to you and they give you a hard time about your pricing. You're like, well, here's somebody who's brand new. I met, met her at a conference. She charges half what I do. Uh, if you don't want to work with me, you can work with her. And usually what they'll say is, no, I want to work with you. It's like, okay, well, then pay my price. <laughs> so, you, know, <laughs> right. you, you, you let, but you're putting the power in their hands and, you know, potentially they, they just can't afford you. And they're like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. We'll go with this different, cheaper person. And now you're blessing somebody else and you're honoring your own time exactly. at the same time. And you're right. We're still in heaven together. It doesn't have to that's be right. some thing <laughs> that we fight about. It doesn't have to be something that's awkward. And one of the things that helps reduce the awkwardness is sending a legitimate invoice. 
And this yes. is one of those skills that you have to learn as a freelancer. And you want to make it as easy as possible for mm-hmm. people to pay you. <laughs> so right. um, what I've been using for 15 years is FreshBooks. I really like FreshBooks. It generates invoices. It'll even mail a paper invoice, the little return uh, envelope if someone's not paying. This is one of the dirty secrets of this business. Some people are quick to pay and some people are not, which uh, the Bible does have something to say. <laughs> it says, uh, don't pay your employees tomorrow when you can pay them today. I think it's in the, I forget if it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, but I remember being very uh, convicted about that. As, a, as an employer, you should never use your employees or your contractors as a source of credit. It's, uh, right. And be smart also um, with with editing jobs, for example. Um I don't mail back the completed editing job until the last payment is paid. <laughs> yeah, that, that, <laughs> you that's, know? you know, that that's just a good, uh, a good practice. And we yes. would do the same thing with the website. You had to do the final web uh, payment on the website before we would uh, flip yeah, the switch and live. make the yeah. website go live. Uh, so what I like about FreshBooks, and there's a bunch of different invoicing tools out there. What's nice about FreshBooks is that it allows people to choose how to pay you. They can send you a check. They can pay by credit card. They can pay by PayPal, and it's got the different options. Mm-hmm. And this is really important often, especially when you're working with a bigger company. Some bigger companies have their own system they want you to use, but other companies can't pay you until you give them a legitimate-looking invoice because they have to be exactly. able to show, hey, here's a receipt. This was real work done by a real per- person. We're not money laundering, right? Paper trail. Uh, in the American system, paper trails are really important. And Very important. what you don't want to do is create an invoice on your Word document because it's cheaper. Because you are not honoring your time. <laughs> right. is, there are tools that will do this for you. And yes, they will take some money. And yes, when you get a credit card payment, it will take a percentage of the money. But honor your time and realize that that is a small price to pay. And I will say I've lost far more money of people not sending me checks than I have of the credit card fees. <laughs> So, right. Uh, and hunt and especially of my time of hunting them down and following them up. And that's another thing about FreshBooks that I like I realize is turning into a commercial for them. Um, <laughs> but I've been using them for a long time is that you can set up automated payment reminder emails where FreshBooks is following up with them, not you, because that can be awkward. You know, it's like, hey, it's been two weeks. You know, where's that check? I, I really need it. Now, FreshBooks sends that email. It's like automated reminder and you can right. tweak it if you want. Or you can just use the, the boilerplate. And I find that that. Um, is really helpful. And it's one of those disciplines that you have to practice if you want to be a freelancer is, you know, you need to have a W-2 handy because big organizations are not going to cut you a check or pay via a credit card without a W-2. So I just keep it, you know, a PDF <laughs> handy right, on my computer. Right. I have it right there. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it, th- these are just some of the things that, that go along with it. It's It's not that hard. Don't let this scare you off. There's a lot of value in having the freedom of being uh, your own employee. People will mm-hmm. talk about the value of being your own boss, but you're also your own employee. And so be a good employee to yourself. <laughs> right. Good. Good advice. Um, do you have any final tips or encouragement before we go? Oh, my goodness. Do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, do do what you are good at. All right. I I would not recommend that you say that you're an editor and you have not worked on those skills that are necessary. Um, you know, I taught, 
I taught English for 35 years. Um, so th there's just, there's a lot that goes into editing. So, you know, I didn't call, I didn't start calling myself a consultant or a coach until I had some years behind me and some, something to say, right? Something to direct people. So don't call yourself something that you really are not. I guess that's the easiest way. Yeah. You can start off as an assistant. You can be an assistant and get money without knowing anything. You just have to do the work. <laughs> yeah, but, but those higher titles, right? If you're going to call yourself an editor, if you're going to call yourself a, a consultant, you need to have the skills where you're being honest when you say, this is what I can help you with. This is what I can't help you with. It's actually a real good principle of knowing when to say no because somebody will say hey i need help with x y and z and you're like i can help you with x and y i'm really good at the editing i don't know the marketing talk to so and so about the marketing i can't help you with and if you're desperate if you're hungry you're tempted to say oh sure i can help you with the marketing and inside your head you're like i'll learn the marketing and then help them with it <laughs> no <laughs> don't exactly. do that you're setting yourself up for a lot of stress and a lot of unhappiness if you do it that way yes all right. Well, if you want to learn more about Sharon Norris Elliott, you can find her at authorizeme.net. We'll have a link uh, to her website in the show notes at christianpublishingshow.com. I'll also have a link to FreshBooks, and I don't know if I have an affiliate with them or not, but I'll put a link one way or the other. <laughs> so if you want to check out uh, FreshBooks, but uh, PayPal invoices is another uh, tool that you can look at. Yeah, and, that's what uh, I use. Yeah. And our uh, sponsor today is the Tax and Business Guide for authors. This is a course that uh, I made along with my dad. He's a CPA who has been working with authors for almost 40 years, 35 years plus. I don't remember exactly, uh, but more than I, longer than I've been alive. He's been helping authors <laughs> with taxes. And in this course, I sit down with him and we present it together on here is how to set up an LLC. Here is how uh, to determine whether or not the IRS sees you as a business or not, whether or not you can take tax deductions. Which tax deductions can you take? When can you go on a trip, even a vacation, and have it be tax deductible because it's research for the novel that you're writing? We look at the tax court cases because authors have done this and won their cases, and they've done it and lost their cases. We talk about when you can do that and when you can't do that. It is an incredibly valuable course uh, if you're ready for the business side of writing and you're wanting to get advice from a CPA. It doesn't replace hiring a CPA, but it allows you to ask really smart questions so you don't have to pay for as much time <laughs> with the CPA, and that can save you a lot of money. And you can find more about this course at authortaxtips.com. That's authortaxtips.com. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., and you've been listening to Sharon Norris Elliott on The Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thank you for listening to The Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit christianpublishingshow.com.